0: Thank you for that. So I'm excited to get into the word. Pastor Bill Hudson last Sunday preached a masterpiece. Yes. Amen. If you, if you heard that and you don't know what the gospel is, something's wrong. But you need to, and, and if you didn't hear it, you need to go and listen to that message. It was a beautiful message about the gospel, simply telling us what the gospel is. And, and you know, the gospel is, is not an accomplishment to be achieved, it is a gift to be received. Amen? Amen. The gospel, our salvation, it's not an accomplishment to be achieved. It is a gift to be received. Amen. That was Pastor Bill's message. That's, that's foundational. We need that understanding. We need that. That is foundational biblical truth. We're talking about the blueprint and we're talking about what really matters to us as a church. That is foundational. The gospel is at the core of everything we do as a church. Amen. That's what it's about. And what I want to talk to you about today is once you have received the gospel, what's next? What happens after we have been born again? What happens after we have put our trust in Jesus? It's not just about coming and sitting on a pew and and absorbing things and taking things in. No, we we have something that God's calling us to do. What is that? So we're going to look at that. It's, It's living like Jesus. God is calling us, once he has saved us, he's calling us to live like Jesus. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let's go to the uh, first book, the first epistle of John, 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to read there. We're going to talk about living like Jesus this morning. Let's let's do this. We don't always do this on a Sunday morning, but I I just want to do this this morning. Let's, Let's stand together. I want to read 1 John 2, 1 through 6. We don't always do this here as a church, but I want to do this this morning just because I want to just emphasize how important the Word of God is. Amen? We need to reverence the Word of God. And we shouldn't approach God's Word casually. We need to honor the Word of the Lord. We need to reverence God's Word. And so we're going to do this this morning. And in fact, I want to pray before we read. If that's all right, be ready to receive the word today. This message is not for your neighbor. It's for you. I heard Francis, Francis Chan say one time, the most dangerous thing that we can do is assume that we are good soil. He was alluding to the parable of the sower. Now, we we need to make sure. We should not assume, and and, and the soil is really talking about our hearts. We should not just assume that our hearts are ready to receive. We need to prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your Word. Right now, we position ourselves. We ready our hearts. We open our hearts. We open our minds to receive your Word. Not the opinion of man, not what Pastor Chad says about it, Lord, what your word says to us and speaks to us, we are ready to receive it into our hearts, into our spirits. We pray that it would, uh, like a seed, fall into fertile soil and take root and spring forth and grow. Father, we pray that you would help us to watch over your word. I pray that you would protect the seed of your word as it's sown into our hearts, that the enemy would not come to steal it, that the weeds would not come to choke it out, that the cares of this life, would not strangle out the Word of God, but that it, would, that it would bloom and bear fruit in our lives. Father, we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just remain standing just for this passage of Scripture as we read it. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father? Thank Jesus. Amen. And he is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. And if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him, and that is how we know we are living in him. This verse is really where we want to focus, verse 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Such a simple thought, but when you begin to ponder it, it's so profound, so powerful. Amen? And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us, all of us, to live as Jesus did. Amen? You can be seated. So my, my absolute... My favorite response to the question, What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, comes from an old hippie worship leader named Keith Green. How many of you have heard Keith Green? The Jesus People movie. He died in the early 80s in a plane accident, but he's a, tr- he's a tremendous songwriter, tremendous worship leader, and he was kind of a hippie. But my favorite statement of all time he was asked, What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And he says it means to be completely bananas about Jesus. I love that. I love that. My, my second favorite statement, I heard from David Cook. You remember my short little buddy that came here and preached back in September? David Cook, when he was asked, what, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? He said this. It says, it means to behold Him, to become like Him, and to beam forth his light. David, David Cook always talks in alliteration. Three B's. You know, you know whenever you're going to get a David Cook sermon or you're going to go to one of his, I, he was one of my professors in Bible college, if you go to one of his lectures, it was going to be a lot of alliteration. Like the 13 Z's of being a Christian, something like that. The three B's of following Jesus. This is it right here. To behold him, to become like him, and to beam forth his light. That really is, when you boil it down, the essence of what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ. We are beholding Him. We are in awe of who He is and what He has done. And we are or we should be striving to become like Him. And then the natural outflow, if you become like Jesus, you're going to beam forth His light. You're going to be a witness in this world. Amen? The the reality is the the eternal purpose of God for every one of us is that we would become like his son Jesus. That was God's plan for us. That was God's intention from the foundation of the world. The eternal purpose of God for you and I is that we would look like Jesus, that we would live as he lived, that we would serve as he served. What, What does that mean? What does that look like? I could give you probably a 20-point message. We could do a sermon series on this, of what it means to be like Jesus. But it's about, and I won't elaborate on all these, I'll just hit, hit them as highlights. Walking in humility. Right? Jesus walked in humility. Walking in compassion. He, he, he had compassion on sinners. He had compassion on the sick. He had compassion on those who were demon-possessed. He had compassion on the lost and the hurting and the broken. Walking in love, walking in truth, walking in forgiveness, walking in obedience, walking in gentleness, walking in integrity, walking in the Spirit, walking in patience, walking in self-control. I'm not going to preach all of these points because that's your job, to go and study this Word and see Jesus and become like Him. Amen? Maybe we'll do a sermon series on all that later. But think about it. What was Jesus like? Who was this man Jesus? How did he live his life? And then realize that that's the way that God wants us to live. That was his intention. Romans chapter 8, 29 through 30 says this. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. I believe in predestination. Why? Because it's in the Bible. He has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he called, he predestined. And those he called, he. uh, Those he also called, whom he called, these he justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. This is the work that God wants to do in our life. He's called us. He wants to justify us. He has justified us. And he is glorifying us and has glorified us. Amen? This is the purpose of God for our lives. Ephesians also talks about this. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know God's blessed? Who has blessed us? How many of you know you're blessed? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Jesus, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved." Amen. We are accepted in the beloved. We are a part of the family. We're a, ha- a part of the household of faith because this was God's intention. This was God's design. We belong in his church. We belong in his family. We are sons. Be- because of the, the firstborn of God, we now are the offspring of God. And we rise. The Bible said, Peter said, that he has made us to be partakers of, Of his divine nature Jesus revealed to us the divine nature and now God through Christ has made us to be partakers of that divine nature how exactly does this happen if you just look at your husband or your wife you realize he's saved but he doesn't exactly always look like Jesus one of the things we realize. As soon as we get saved, we realize we're still dealing with some stuff, right? We're still dealing with the world, the flesh, and the devil, especially the flesh. Of our enemies, probably our flesh is the biggest of them all, right? Paul, I mean, he he gave a whole uh, 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 dialogue to this struggle that he has with his flesh about this great war between his flesh, right? What I want to do, I don't do, and you remember that? He talks about this battle with the flesh. We're still working on bringing our flesh under, right? Our, our flesh. Uh, somebody said it this way, we are saved, we are, are, are being saved, and we will be saved. When, when you are bo- born again, you are, your spirit man is saved. The soul is being saved. We are, you know, we're three-part beings, spirit, soul, and body. When we are born again, our spirit man is saved, our soul is being saved, and our flesh will be saved. So it's a process. How does this process play out? How does God wrought his work in us, his salvation, and form the character of his son Jesus in us? Let's look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. It says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Look at this. But their minds were blinded. Their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses has read the, the veil, a veil lies on their hearts. What, what is he saying here? There was a veil put over Moses. And that veil still remains to those who are not in Christ. They are blind to the things of God. They're, they're blind to things like holiness and righteousness and, and, and truth. And justification and sanctification, their eyes are blind to what God has done for them in the gospel and sending his son Jesus Christ. You see, the Old Testament pointed to Jesus coming to die for the sins of his people and to redeem them back to God. Their eyes were blinded to that. How many of you know that the Old Testament is is the gospel to the Jews? That's the reality. All of the things of the Old Testament, it's it's known as the gospel to the Jews. And by the way, I want to emphasize this. What what scriptures did the the New Testament church have? The The Old Testament. They didn't have the book of Ephesians. They didn't have Corinthians. They didn't have Romans or Acts or the Gospels or Revelation or any of the epistles. All they had was the Old Testament. Those were the scriptures. And I want you to understand this. The Old Testament is not irrelevant to us. It is still relevant to our learning and understanding. But the reality, apart from Christ, we cannot understand the Scriptures. Be it the Old Testament or the New Testament, without Christ and His Spirit dwelling in us, we cannot understand God's Word. The Scriptures teach that carnal man cannot comprehend the things of God. Right? Right? So without salvation and without being born of the Spirit, we cannot understand the things of God. And that's what the writer here is talking about. Those who haven't been born again, those who haven't found their place in Christ and Him finding His place in them, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they cannot perceive the things of God. There is a veil over their eyes. That's what the writer is is saying here. He goes on, he says, Nevertheless when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, that veil has been taken away, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So as we look in the mirror, we're changed into the image that we see, From glory to glory, by the Spirit of God. It is a work of God's Spirit working in us day by day. I don't fully look like Jesus, but hopefully I look a little more like Jesus today than I did yesterday. I don't look fully like Jesus, but man, you should have seen me 23 years ago when God saved me. I was a wreck. I had a temper problem, I had a drinking problem, I had an identity problem, I had all kinds of issues. I'm still not perfected, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Day by day, God is working on me. Day by day, God is changing me. Day by day, God is transforming me. Day by day, he's shaping me and conforming me into the likeness of his son, Jesus. There's hope for my wife. Tomorrow I'll be a little bit more like Jesus. Amen? We're being changed and transformed by the power of God's Spirit. Day by day, we're being changed to be like Jesus. It says when we look into the mirror, what's the mirror? Now, let me ask you this. When when you looked in the mirror, if you saw my reflection, would you be startled? Especially you ladies. You look in there and see a guy looking at you with a beard and whiskers. It, it would startle you. What is the mirror? James tells us, he, he, in James chapter 1, verse 22 through 24, he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For anyone, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. And he observes himself and goes away and immediately forget, forgets what kind of man he is. So he's telling us that the, the word is the mirror. And what he's saying is, if you are a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, you're like a man who looks in the mirror, and then he goes away and forgets who he is. Right? If you've got a job interview, you're going to pull up in the parking lot, you're likely going to pull that, that, uh, the sun visor down, look at the mirror, make sure, ladies, your makeup's in place, men, that your beard's properly trimmed, that your hair's combed, that everything's in place, and you're going to walk out of your car into that office with confidence. Right? Because you've looked in the mirror and you see that everything's in place. When we look into the mirror, it can give us confidence. When we look into the mirror, it gives us confidence because it shows us who we are. When I look into the Word, I don't see Chad Hayes. I see Jesus. And this is a mirror that's reflecting to us who we are in Christ, who we are in Jesus. What you see in the Scriptures of Jesus it's God's intention of who he wants you to be. And we need to walk away and act accordingly. Walk with confidence knowing that I am hidden in Christ. Amen. My identity is found in Jesus. My identity is no longer the sinful man. My, my identity is no longer the drunkard. My identity is no longer the liar. The, I, my identity is no longer that I'm a bigot. No, no longer that I'm hateful. No longer that I'm angry. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's my identity. Amen? I can be, the Bible says, the righteous are as bold as lions. I can be bold because I'm righteous, because I'm, my life is hidden in Christ amen this book is a mirror and when we read something in the scriptures we need to obey it we live in a generation of self-deceived christians christian in name only they call themselves christians but they don't act like christ how do we get to the place where we are so self-deceived as a culture where we, can, we have preachers who will stand in the pulpit and make statements that contradict the word of God and the character of Jesus Christ. How do preachers get to that point? How do Christians get to the place where they can call themselves Christians but don't live like Christ? How do we get to a place where we are self-deceived, thinking that we're saved and we're as lost as all, all other heathens? How do we get to that point? That passage in James tells us He says when you're a doer, a hearer of the word and not a doer, you deceive your own self. We're deceived not because the word of God is not available to us. We're deceived because the word of God is available to us. We hear it every Sunday, but we don't receive it and we don't obey it. And what happens, we will move to a place of self deception where we can no longer even distinguish right and wrong. That's why we have Christians that call good evil and evil good, like darkness and dark lightness, bitter sweet and sweet bitter. It's because they are deceived. They have sat in church Sunday after Sunday with the word of God being preached, hearing the truth of God's scripture, refusing to receive it into their hearts, refusing to obey it, refusing to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And what happens is their hearts become hard and stony and calloused, and they can no longer perceive or receive the things of God. That's how we get to a place of self-deception. It's hearing the word of God reading the Word of God, and not living the Word of God. It's a dangerous place. It's a dangerous place. We need to be a people who are open to receive and hear God's Word, to obey God's Word, To allow the Holy Spirit to come and work on our hearts and change us and transform us, to pray those searchlight prayers that says, Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. If there is any wicked way in me, reprove me, correct me, straighten me out, set my feet back on your path. We need to be humble. I'm gonna actually start teaching on Wednesday night about being teachable. It's important. We need to be a teachable people. We live in a a culture of unteachable people. I heard a coach from the University of Alabama, he said, uncoachable kids become unemployable adults. We're uncoachable, unteachable. We know it all. We're too smart to listen to anybody else. And we're destroying ourselves. We have to humbly come to the presence of God, look into the mirror of his word and allow his spirit to do its work on the inside of us and change us and transform us. Listen, I I want to say this to you. When you study God's word, make it a point to find out something about Jesus. The principles in and of themselves are not enough. It's the power of Christ It's the power of his gospel. It's the power of his spirit that makes the difference. One of my mentors, one of my uh, Bible college professors, he said this. He said, you can read the Bible, but if you don't understand something of Jesus, you haven't done a Bible study. You see, this Bible from Genesis to Revelation points to Jesus Christ. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the deliverer. We can go through every single book of the Bible. He is the the, the object of Solomon's song. We can go through every book of the Bible, and it points to Jesus Christ. Every page, every verse should lead us to some kind of a revelation about Jesus. Because if we study his word and it doesn't bring us to him, we miss it. We miss it. Your Bible studies will not lead you to life. Unless they lead you to Jesus. Jesus himself says this. He says in John chapter 5, he says, The Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him, you do not believe. In other words, if you really knew God, you would have received me. He's talking about, he's speaking to the religious leaders of the day, and he said, if you really knew God, you would have received me, because I am God incarnate. And you missed it. Then he goes on in verse 39, he says, you search the scriptures, for you, you, in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. And he says, in other words, you're looking through the scriptures, thinking they're going to give you eternal life, but apart from me, you will not have eternal life. You are not willing to come to me that you might have eternal life. Like I said, the principles apart from Jesus will bring nothing of fruit in your life. We have to receive the things of God through Christ, period. The Word speaks of of Jesus, and I want to say this, the Spirit of God, when it speaks, it speaks about Jesus. Here in the near future, we're, we're going to do a series, a sermon series, on the gifts of the Spirit and how they operate in the church. We're, we're going to look at, not my principles, we're going to look at God's principles in His words and how the gifts should operate in the church. And we're, we are a Spirit-filled church. Amen. We're, we're going to learn how to live that out as a community, as a body of believers. We're going to learn how to live that out in a healthy, Mm. biblical way. We're going to look at what God says about it. And here's the the overarching principle. When, when When the gifts of the Spirit manifest, whether it be prophecy, tongues, interpretation, word of knowledge, whatever it might be, however those gifts manifest, when they manifest, they should point us to Jesus. That's why so many people are confused. Because we've got prophets preaching about things that have no relevance to Jesus. They're not pointing us to Jesus. Because the answer is not a politician. The answer is not some principle. The answer is not some pot at the end of the rainbow that's going to fulfill all your wishes. All these weird things that we prophesy, the answer is in Christ and in him alone. And so our prophecy (laughs) needs to point us to Jesus Christ. Amen? When the Spirit speaks, it's going to speak of Jesus. Jesus himself said it. He says, but when the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you, this is John 15, 26, who I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, Jesus says. When you read the Word, find something about Jesus. When the Spirit speaks it's going to bring you to Jesus. It has to be central to everything that we do and everything that we are. So let's look at this. What does this mean to us? In in, in Jesus, we find a way to God. In Jesus, we find a way to know him. In Jesus, we also find a way to know who we are. Amen? Amen? So what the writer's talking about, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, Satan, who is the God of this world, lowercase g, has blinded the minds of those, here it is again, they're, 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 they're blinded those who don't believe. You see that? Yeah. Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching our, about ourselves. And there it is again. Listen, when, when, the, when the gifts of the Spirit manifest, they should not bring glory to us. When the worship leader is leading worship, they should not be getting glory for themselves. This is not their spotlight. This is not their time to shine. It's not about them. You don't like the worship leader too bad. It's not about the worship leader, and it's not about you. It's about Jesus. So stop it and worship him. Amen. If we're singing about King Jesus, you ought to be able to stand with the, your hands lifted, you're clapping your hands, and your mouth open, exalting the Lord. Because it's not about the worship team, it's not about the style of music, it's not about the instruments, not about the singers, it's about bringing glory to the King. Amen? And when the preacher preaches, it's not about him. It's not about how eloquent he is. It's not about how talented he is. It shouldn't be about what a great leader that we are. It shouldn't be about our administration. We preach Jesus and not ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made the light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We know, I'm sorry, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. Man, Pastor Ben did a great job on Wednesday night. He was talking about the fact that we're pots. See, all we are are clay pots. I talked to our leaders on Thursday night about I reminded them what what David Cook said when he was here that that we are cracked pots and we leak That's why we got to be refilled. That's why we got to be renewed. We're cracked pots. Look at your neighbor and tell them you're a cracked pot. <laughs> We're clay pots. And yet We possess the light. On the inside of us is the great light of God. You think about that. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. We have feet of clay, we are earthbound, but we have glory inside. The glory of God, the power of God resides. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in this world. Amen. The Holy Ghost is on the inside of you, and he wants to stand up and he wants to shout. Amen. So when you look at this, here's what he's saying. God has revealed himself to us through his son. He says the glory of God is revealed in the face of, of Jesus Christ the old church father Martin Luther he said if you want to see God you have to look in the face of Jesus Christ Jesus reveals God our father to us he came to demonstrate to us the nature of God if you want to see what God is like look at Jesus Listen, there there aren't two gods. There's not an Old Testament God who's angry and vengeful and a New Testament God that's happy. There's one God. And his character and nature is revealed through through the Old Testament and New Testament, but they both point to Jesus. And if you really want to see what God is like, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He reveals to us what God is like. Timothy said, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by the angels, preached amongst the Gentiles, and received up into glory. That word godliness, great is the mystery of godliness, it's Eusebius in the Greek. It means the things that pertain to God. They are great, and they are mysterious. There's much controversy. In other words, uh, there's there's a lot of understanding that we lack about who God is. But God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by the angels, preached amongst the Gentiles, and received up into glory. In other words, Jesus... Has revealed to us what God is like. Amen. I'm gonna ask my wife to come. Jesus has come to show us what God is like, and He's come to show us what we are to be like. May we strive to live like Jesus. If we do, what's the result? I wanna show you the result. The result is the fruit of the Spirit, the re- re- result is a mature believer no more a child tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine but we are established and rooted and grounded in him that's the result if we will look to Christ and allow his spirit to work on us and change and transform us that's the result here's the result in 1st Thessalonians Chapter 1, it says, So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. It's important that we receive this message, that we are not obstinate, that we are teachable, that we can hear the Word of God, that we can hear from the men and women that God put in our lives and receive the things that they instruct us and teach us in and the things of following Jesus. You received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you, intimidate, you, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, here's the result. You have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord, look at this, the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere. That ought to be what is happening, folks. That through our lives, the word of God is being preached. It's ringing out into our community. It's ringing out at your family reunion. It's ringing out in your neighborhood. It's ringing out in your school campus. It's ringing out at the grocery store. It's ringing out in the parking lot as you encounter your friend. The message about Jesus is ringing out because you have followed the example. Amen? It's ringing out. From you to people everywhere even beyond Macedonia and Achaia for wherever we go we find people telling us about your faith in God we don't need to tell them about it for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God and they speak of you of of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's son from heaven amen Maranatha come quickly Lord Jesus whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Amen? Let's stand together. May God's word ring out through our lives. Amen? Through our testimony, through our proclamation, through our lifestyle, through our example, through our living from the, through the encounters that we have with our neighbors, through the encounters that we have with those that we meet out in the community. May Jesus' life be manifest in us. May the word of God be preached boldly and loudly through our lives in word and in deed. May we be like Jesus. Amen? Amen.